episode is it 17 i'm losing track already Kev. yeah episode 17 of outside 17 or 18 we're gonna get right into the introduction are you ready for this i'm ready are you ready ready. all right director of athletics at your sinus university drives the meanest red pickup truck i have ever seen husband beautiful mother of three and someone that motivates kevin and i every day laura mulkin there we go. Thank Welcome. She Thanks also kicks her me. butt in CrossFit <laughs> on a daily basis. So thank you for having me. Yeah, yeah you yeah. were you were one of the first people that reached out to me and said, "Hey, I'd love to come join you." So we appreciate the hell out of that. Yeah, I think the podcast is great. I love that you talk about topics for young people, topics that they might find difficult. Yeah, and I, you know, I suggested the podcast to my twenty-one-year-old who did you uh, all right graduate? Yeah, and I said, "Hey, you and your friends would love this." Thank you. Thank you. And the, I think the perspective that you have is amazing, right? Because you're around younger people, but you also help them in their careers. So you have a unique perspective where you're older, have a lot more life experience than Kev, I, or any of your sons do. So it's cool to bring someone on with that perspective. Yeah, yeah, yeah. She is a, a different perspective on people our age, as That's we always say. So yeah. it'll be interesting to unpack that and see what that... uh. Yeah, as one of my younger coaches called me a few years ago, I am established. Yeah, that's a great word. When he said I had a necklace that looked like his mother would like it. (laughs) She's established. (laughs) I like it. Um, All right. Well, let's get into – let me know which one you want to get into first, Laura. Do you want to do something more career-based or fitness-based first? What do you think sounds more interesting Um, to you? Oh, they're both interesting. How about career-based? You want to do career-based? Sure. All right, let's do it. So I'm interested because I think athletics and kind of that industry is something I don't candidly have a lot of knowledge in. You know, the – I don't want to say it's corporate, but it is. Your job is corporate in some sense even though you're focusing on athletics and all this stuff. So how did you kind of go down that career path? How did you get into that? So I always knew that I wanted to be a teacher and a coach. I had some pretty influential people, even as young as like fourth and fifth grade. And I just thought PE in school was like my favorite subject. That was my favorite. Of course, right now, who didn't like PE? Yeah. Um, But I really wanted to be a teacher. And then, you know, through high school and college, um, I played all kinds of sports in high school. I focused on one in college. And then... What sport was that in college? Field hockey. Okay. All right. And decided that, um, you know, I really still stuck to the plan to teach and coach. So I ended up graduating, coming back to my high school to teach and coach three sports um, and then decided to make the move to college. And in that time, I was working a lot of summer camps, as you Mm -hmm. do when you're young. And I really sort of liked the administrative back end of that as well, planning, preparation. So I knew, even though I was a coach at the college level, that one day I wanted to go into administration. Okay. Ultimately, the offer came earlier than I had anticipated or planned, um, but it's been a good path for me. Okay. So I'm in my, I think it's 11th or 12th year as the athletic director at Sinus. Yeah. Amazing. Wow. Do you have something? I have a quick question. Yeah. I was going to say, what what about coaching and teaching do you think influenced you the most to want to become that when you grew up because it sounds like from a young age you had a great idea as to this is what i want to be when i you know get to uh, college and i graduate from college this is who i want to be and for a lot of people that changes over time yeah but for you it stayed the same so what do you think about that you know it did stay the same and i think you know what was interesting is growing up when you're 
13, 14, 15, and you're talking about, hey, I think I want to teach and coach, and people looked at me and said, wait, you want to be a PE teacher? You know, but the mind, body, soul, kind of the whole intertwining of those things and, and being like healthy, and there's just so many people that even today struggle with it, mm-hmm. that I, th- I always felt like you could make it fun and you could make it interesting. The other thing was I... um was very fortunate in all of my youth sports. I had terrific coaches that made me enjoy the sports I played. And and even then it was about the people. It's always about the people. In any job, it sounds right. like, you know. But those who compete when they're young and don't have good mentors or coaches are much more soured on the notion of sports. And I didn't want that to be the case. Interesting. So That's... See, I don't know if I ever had a coach that was that influential on me. Mm. which is I never thought about that but that's very interesting that you say that you so you had some people at a young age that really influenced the way you thought about sports and how they coached you and how they taught you yep I don't know if I ever had that did you yeah I think I did but maybe it was a little bit more non-traditional swim coaches I think the most influential coach I had was a swim coach and he maybe spoke I don't know how many words at a practice less than 15 and but he was so monotonous on the the practices we were doing it was so detail oriented and it was all focused around hard work because swimming really is uh, just a factor of hard work and training yeah. it's a it's a massive training sport so if you put in the work you follow the practices you get the results and he had this kind of like quiet sensei piece to him okay which i really respected and there was no, never really we didn't have a lot of conversations but the ones that we did were were super impactful i think because yeah. he was very careful with his words maybe i don't think about him enough then because maybe i do have some coaches that instilled some things in me when i was younger that i don't even realize i don't know yeah and i think as a you know it play the the whole notion of the coaching piece plays into any career really where your job is to if you're a manager your job is to create an environment in which people can thrive okay. and so your your job is just that so yes it's about x's and o's and planning preparation and all of those things but in reality like you create the atmosphere so you have to be on all the time and okay. it is about them yeah and your job is to make it be about them and their experiences and so i think like even when you're in your career and whatever it is if you're working with other people and you're not the manager your job is to bring it but if you are the manager your job is to create it Ooh. so that people can thrive in in whatever that environment is yeah i love that because that's that's such a great point because a manager's job really is to create and facilitate that that type of environment mm-hmm. like you're talking about and i feel like sometimes you can get lost in trying to actually perform the work when in reality mm. a manager is supposed to facilitate and give their people the best uh, opportunities and the best tools to go out and do their job as well yeah. as they can so that's a, that's an awesome point good point off the bat we need a button we've talked about yeah <laughs> we don't have the button um all right so can we jump back a step? So you talked about teaching versus the coaching side of things. Mm-hmm. Is there anything that stuck out with you about teaching that maybe didn't make you want to go that direction? Yeah, you know, for me, I think the teaching piece, um, the teaching piece was okay. It was a lot of really good experiences. But when you teach, you kind of have who you have in your class. Right. And they don't all have the same wish to be at a certain level or to work as a team and i really appreciated that so 
you know, why I enjoyed the teaching. I, I taught phys ed, but I also taught driver's ed, which is a whole nother story. Oh my but, gosh. Yeah, there's a, for, <laughs> for some reason, people around the country think that phys ed teachers make good driver's ed teachers. But um, <laughs> the interesting thing about, you know, the phys ed is every school district has its own sense of how many kids are in your phys ed class and, and how much is required of mm-hmm. them. Is it your first two years? Is it all four years? And mm-hmm. so it's it's not like really creating a team. And I found that my heart lied in the team environment and everyone working toward the same mm-hmm. goal, not just getting through your phys ed credit, you know? Yeah. And so that was kind of the segue for me. And I loved coaching at the high school level yep. and coaching is teaching. Yep. And so I think, you know, our philosophy point. at Ursinus is you are educators first in every sense of the word. And then mm. we kind of lay out what does that mean? So, yes, you teach and yes, you coach, but you're an educator at heart. And Valid so, point. you know, I think for me, it was about being able to be in that environment all day long, yeah. not just the after school and at, like at the high school level. That's a great point. And I, I'm interested on your in your feedback on this, given your experience. Do you think people go too easy on kids in phys ed class? Like... Because I remember my, my teacher was like, yeah, if you can run a seven minute mile, do it. But, you know, 14, is that's passing. You know what I'm saying? Like, yeah. are we too easy on our kids? Um, Sometimes. And again, I, I think it goes back to like environment. It's everyone is coming from such a different environment Great and point. a background that I think you have to be careful about necessarily what you expect or how much. And the yeah. idea is, you know, you can make kids hate PE. Right. If you can yeah. make them tolerate it to yeah. enjoy it I, I think you're kind of at a win there in the schools but we need more of it in the schools not less well it's right. very interesting because i think some schools and I, I mean i could be just uh, sometimes we call segments feelings no facts this could be all that could be exactly where <laughs> this is going yeah. but it's interesting when some private schools require kids to play a sport every season because i feel like so much education and emotional not emotional acuity but i feel like you learn so much from trials and tribulations through sports and you said you're an educator first and i think a lot of your kids are probably very successful in the school sense because of how good they are at facing emotional adversity or challenging themselves on the sports field would you guys agree with that is that crazy because i feel like my biggest life lessons are actually not from the classroom setting but from a physical I mean, we talk about it all the time on the podcast, you know? Yeah, yeah, yeah. I completely agree with that. I think that's a that's a great point is a lot of the best lessons I've learned have been on the sports field right. or, or in the pool. Just dealing with – in school, you have the ability, even if you're in a group project or in a group setting, you can take over a project and control almost everything. But when you're out on the field, you really have to entrust other people and that's a good have those – and there are a lot of tough conversations that you have to and eventually have with a lot of your teammates, um, depending on you know the situation and things along those lines. So, yeah, I would say a lot of the best lessons I learned were on the sports field, for sure. So, is there, Laura, is there, in your opinion, is there anything changing with the landscape of sports at a young age that concerns you at all? And maybe you don't know exactly where I'm going with this question, but do you think it's good to, that there's participation trophies? Or do you think it's good that... That is something that's being instilled in people at a young age. Because I hear about it all the time. I mean, I don't personally see it, but that that's something I'd be interested to hear your feedback. Yeah, I, I um, I, it's a very good question. I actually have huge concern about youth sports. Okay. I, I think that um, it's not where it needs to be in this country. I think kids are specializing too young. I think it's oh, creating a lot of point. mental yeah. and social angst and anxiety and physical 
issues that kids are having that linger when they get into the high school. And then what happens is they get burnt out and they stop enjoying what Mm. they should. And, you know, there's a lot of clubs have become huge in this country and it's a European kind of a thing. And there's some merit to it. But I think with club sports, what's happened is there's... Sorry, can you... What do you mean club sports? So in other words, there's... um, So at the let's just take the high school level, for example. Uh, Soccer... Oh. It created a situation where if you played high school soccer, you couldn't participate in the club, the ODP, the Olympic Developmental yep. Program yeah, Soccer. Yeah, I'm very familiar with that. And what's that. happened is there are, while there are some terrific people at the club level, coaches, um, there's also people that kind of are in it because it's it's a job. They can yeah. make money. It's also and they, lu- more lucrative. It is, uh, you yes. Know, to be a club and, coach and, and they're like guaranteeing in some ways that these kids are going to get scholarships. But what's yeah. happening is the push for parents to take them to every single tournament and get exposure, exposure, exposure. Mm. And they're not having a well-balanced athletic career. They're not having like their friends and they're not doing the social things that you should do when you're in high school. And you know, we're asking them to make decisions before they're actually capable with regard to where they want to go to college. And and it's starting at four and five years old. That's the youth sport issue. And, you know, karate is another one. Like if you join karate, you have to almost keep going because every couple of months you're testing for a belt or some sort of, you know, the next level. Interesting. And, but it happens in every sport. And, and I think as a country, we need to dial back. And I think parents are too easily getting caught up in equates to scholarship and like that's not what it's all about yeah specialization i think i can agree with that is great to us uh, a certain point but the thing i always valued the most about i played three sports in high school you did too mm-hmm. uh, you played i played i played basketball and soccer pretty seriously yeah. and then once i got to the point where i was like okay maybe i want to pursue soccer more seriously i dropped basketball so i could focus on soccer yeah so I think that was a great lesson my mom always taught me is you you should be doing something different. You shouldn't just put all your eggs in one Mm. basket and, you know, hope and and continue because that can that can benefit a lot of people. But if you do it at the so such an early age, you know, I remember growing up, even when I was growing up and there were the kids that were amazing from a young age and their parents were down their throats. And the next thing you know, by middle school, like these kids weren't even playing that sport anymore. Great point. But all, but so this is my thing though, because again, I don't think kids are at the stage of their life at five, six, seven, eight to make that decision. But you do or could see the path that leads them to be successful if they specialize on it. Do you see what I'm saying, right? The kid that's in the ODP program at eight and ends up, you know, with the 16 year old Olympic team and then goes and plays in Europe. You could see that path taking place if that's something he's he or she's genuinely interested in. You know what I'm saying? Because it gives them extra time in that space where they want to be successful. I agree with you. I, the tough thing is, is with the parental guidance. I think it's more on the parents because, because kids don't have the awareness factor yet. You know what I'm I saying? Agree. I agree. And if the parents allow the kids to love something, if they love it and they want to go and they're looking yeah. forward to going again and again and again, then I think you let them follow that path. But the, right. but that's not really the issue. And even the 16-year-olds that have that early success and go to Europe and participate on the U16 team yeah. or what have you, like, even oftentimes those kids at 19 find themselves tired of mm-hmm. the lifestyle right. and the level. And so, like... Did they max out too soon? Like maybe. Now, if they love it, they you wouldn't. know, I mean, we played sports. We, 
you know, my sisters and I went to like the softball world series as youngins and like, it was awesome and I loved it. And I always wanted to play, but part of it was the three sports and Mm. having a chance to be with some different people and doing some different activities, you know, once you then get to the point where you really want to specialize um, I think it's different when the student or the kid makes the choice, not the Great parents. Point. That's what I wanted. The well, there's these walls they're putting up now with the like ODP. Mm-hmm. You can't play high school sports or like some of my. I played club soccer, and some yep. of my more favorable memories came from high school sports and yep. actually playing with a lot of kids that were lower skill level, but I had a, a way more diverse experience. Mm-hmm. I guess you could say. I so agree. that's a great point. Yeah, and I think you hit the nail on the head, Laura, where you said. If it's what the kid is interested in, then yeah. But if you're dragging him out of bed, he or she out of bed every day because you're focused on he or she getting that college scholarship or paying for that best-in-class club team, the reality is it's a very short-sighted goal for – and again, I don't have a child, but I I would go to bat with that perspective. Yeah. Yeah, I think a lot of parents are doing it for the right reasons at the end of the day, but I think maybe they – should take a, a step back and let the let the kid make, it's the be involved life. be involved in somewhat of the decision. It's right? the child's life, dude. Yeah. Like even though, and of course, we're both the people without kids <laughs> talking about this. I know, sorry, but yeah. but I think I think you would agree is that there's got to be somewhat of a conversation between the, your kid and yourself yeah. about what the right decision yeah. is. I think the balance of athletic balance and social balance and academic balance is really the key. And I think parents just easily get caught up with like keep up with the Joneses. And I can tell you at the college level how many parents like to say that their child is getting a scholarship to Ursinus. Well, at Division Three, there's no athletic scholarship. They're getting academic merit money Mm -hmm. um, or other types of financial aid, as you both know. But it's not athletic scholarship money. And like there is terrific experiences at all three levels, Division One, Two, II, and Three, and there are terrible experiences at all different levels. Great and point. so, even the people who go Division One, sometimes they like to have their bragging moments of like, "Oh, I got a scholarship," and it's like a thousand dollar athletic scholarship. Yeah. So it's not. I mean, but it also doesn't mean that they're going to have a great experience. And too often, when kids come home from college, you know, people want to ask them, "Hey, how did your team do? And, and did you start? And did you play?" In reality, people want to know like. Did you have a good experience? Yeah. And we need to be asking that of our youth, Ooh. right? And our high school students and our college students. Like, hey, are you having a good experience? Not putting the pressure of like, did you start? Did you get playing time? Did you this? Because none of that at the end of the day matters. And when you go into the job force and you have on your resume that you participate in college athletics, the reality is, as you both know, people are looking at it like, hey, that indicates that you're dedicated, mm-hmm. that you have balance, that you're willing to work hard, mm-hmm. that you're disciplined, mm-hmm. that you're responsible, and that you understand team dynamics. Yeah. Yeah. So those things are far more important than did you get a scholarship? Yeah, and no, one, no one asked play? me, did I start? Did you start? <laughs> what were your times? Yeah, exactly. Right? What were your swimming times? Yeah. No one asks you that. That's they, a great point. Right? Yeah. And so the skill set that you want to be able to speak to when you you know, look for a job is all based on all those other things, not your times or did you start or did you play? That's a great point. And the other thing that popped out to me there was like, it doesn't really matter how successful your team quote unquote was. Did they win the championship? And that's a great question. I wish I would have been asked Laura at a younger age. Like what was my experience like with baseball, right? What was my experience like with soccer? What was my experience like with basketball? Cause if I look back, that was never even a, a thought at all for me growing up it was like 
all right, you won the state championship in baseball. Let's continue to play it, right? And I was the kid chasing my glove in the outfield because you know me, like sitting there waiting for a yeah. ball that's going to come once a same year way. is, right, is right, not going to yeah. play out for me. Right. But um, that's interesting. I wish I would have had that. Yeah, something you touched on there was uh, the parents and things along those lines. And something I was so surprised about when I – swam in college was the involvement of other parents in talking to their coaches and i always i've always told my parents like i can handle my my situations whether they go over my head or not with that that kind of stuff but you would expect at that level where your kid or your child is 18 to 22 years old that you're going to take your hands off the reins and and let them figure it out on their own and i was always so surprised at the amount of parents that were down coaches' throats. So I guess my question is how do you – was that what it was like when you first began in this environment and how has that developed and how do you tell your coaches to handle those situations? Ooh, great question, Kevin. Yeah, so I do think there's a variety of different types of parents at the college level and you are right. We try to encourage our parents to allow their students to handle their business. And what we tell them is that they need to su- support what is happening on the athletic front. Like they're not at practice every day. They don't know the everything. And yes, your son or daughter is going to call home and be frustrated or cry. What you don't want to do is necessarily just side with them and yeah. suggest that the coach is all at fault. What you want to do is encourage the student to have the conversation with the coach. And your job as the parent should be to help them navigate how they will have the conversation. So a couple of things we put in place, you know, I talk to the parent groups every year when students come in preseason or what, what have you, any opportunity I can get. And I talk to the parents now more forcefully than in the past about what is our expectation of parents. Sad but true that as the athletic director, I have to lay out what I expect from the parents and tell them what behavior we will and will not tolerate from them. But I've gotten to the point where it has to be done, so you do it, and then suggesting that they help their student navigate those tough conversations and that it's not always going to be easy, but neither is life. And you know, Mm. part of us being educators is trying to help them learn how to navigate their disappointment you know oh i'm not going to start this week because i didn't have a good week or whatever like yes they're going to be upset but let them learn how to handle that disappointment you can't just call the coach and complain as if you know it's just that's just not that's just not appropriate um so i do think that parents should not they do need to like loosen up the reins and let the child figure it out go ahead I feel like that's a big problem with our generation and our parents is mm-hmm. they are they're willing they'll go to bat for their kids in these scenarios and what happens when they graduate college and they're out of check they have a real job this is say. where this is where the huge issue comes comes at hand it's like all these people think that they've been told they're special all their life and they've had their parents tell their coaches and yeah. some coaches bend more than others and. You know, Great at the point. end of the day, like, what are you going to have your mom and dad call your boss? And That's tell what I was you? just like, going to say. At the end of the day, you're going to have to make those, you're going to have to have those conversations. Maybe the reality, you're not starting this week because you sucked at practice. <laughs> yeah. And maybe you need to get better. Like, you're not going to get that job promotion just because your parents are calling you your manager. Hope to God that doesn't happen. Oh if my anyone, gosh. If we've, we've heard some stories about parents showing up at like the interviews. I mean, it's, are you yeah, serious? I'm serious. Holy. Now I don't think it happens often, but, <laughs> oh, but you're right. The question parents should be asking is 
what am I teaching them if I call the coach? You can be an advocate for your yeah. child, your student, um, from afar, right? You can advocate for yeah. them and with them without calling the coach or the yeah. director of athletics. I will not meet with a parent unless the student and the coach are present, unless it's some kind of non-athletic related issue, yeah. right? Maybe there's that. an abuse issue yeah, or a domestic, kind of, you know, mm-hmm. a boyfriend, girlfriend yeah. abuse issue or, or a drug issue or something like that where they think I need to know, um, but other, and, and try to support That's the student. But otherwise point. I will not. And I say to the coach, you better make sure your student is forthcoming with their parents before we all sit down and meet because yeah. things are going to come out. You're going to be direct. Right. Yeah. And the coach's decision direct, is the coach's decision. I mean, you can not like it. You can disagree with it. Yeah. But ultimately, the coach has that decision. It has the right to make those decisions about. And I tell the coaches, don't talk to your parents about playing time. Tell them up front that that's not something you will discuss with them. Mm. You will discuss it with the student. And if the student has an issue and complains to mom and dad, the student should come in and speak with you. And they better come in with the idea that they might not hear what they want. But again, as a coach, your job is to help the student navigate, educate them. Yeah. How do you navigate your way through feeling this way? Yeah. But you don't make it easy for them. Oh, yeah. How, how did you... How do you deal with the pushback from, I'm sure you get a ton of pushback from that, from parents who want to just come talk to you. How do you deal with that? I I have been very fortunate in that I might get a couple of calls a year. Yeah. Um, but part of that is really working with my coaching staff to make sure that we're all on the same page about mm-hmm. how we're messaging these things to parents about when we will and when we won't. Um, but I don't want to turn parents off if they have a legitimate concern. And the biggest thing that I get is they call, of course, their name is on the caller ID, but then they they don't want to tell me their name because they don't want any uh, repercussions for their their student, but they want to complain about the coach who they think has been inappropriate in this way or that way. And so I take all the notes and then ultimately I say to them, what would you like me to do with this information? Yeah. Right. Put the put it back on them Ooh. and say, I can I can talk with the coach, but you don't sound comfortable with that. And if you don't, this is the first concern I've heard of this. Yeah. So, um, but what I will tell you, I'll keep your notes on file. And if I get other concerns that are similar, at some point I will have to address the coach. But it won't be obvious that it was you yeah. coming forth on behalf of your student. And so I say to them, what would you like me to do with this information? Oh if it's egregious enough, of course I have to deal with it. But, yeah, yeah. but typical, it's you just... You know what, what's a legit... I think you pointed to a legitimate issue right. and then uh, the other side of the equation, right. right? And the goal is at the end of that really kind of what could be tricky conversation with a parent is to get them to say thank you. Yeah. Like they just want to be heard. Yeah. You know? Great point. But I don't agree with them. I don't always just necessarily say, oh... Yes, I agree with you. I don't yeah. necessarily do that because yeah. I'm sorry that they feel that way, but I'm a, I'm acknowledging their feelings, not necessarily the specific situation. Yeah, I love what you said. What would you like me to do with that information? How many times mm-hmm. have we said that? About That's it? out of straight out of the Never Split the Difference playbook. Whether you agree with it or not, or whether you read the book, that's. It's about helping, like having the people who come to you with problems, helping you solve them yeah. with them. Them mm-hmm. solve their own problems. Yeah, with exactly. The question you ask. Yeah, and at the same time, you put yeah. the ball on court, your court. Like, what do you think is reasonable, like, with what I do with this information? Right. Yeah, and parents I, I'm can't, assuming parents, a lot of the times it's probably like, 
like a yeah right they can't often no. get past i'm going to call and complain and i'm going to dump this problem in someone else's lap right right they can't get past that and so you put that back on like what would you like me to do yeah Ooh, that's is, awesome this is heat something i wanted to actually circle back on is is with, with relation to your career mm-hmm. is you said you decided you like the administrative aspect and things along those lines how did you make that transition from being a coach and a teacher to becoming the athletic director of Ursinus College. I'm assuming that wasn't just a straight linear path right, to there. So right. what did that look like for you? So what it looked like for me is I was um, I was a very successful coach and ran a, a, a good program. And our athletic director at the time was moving into kind of an emeritus position and working with the president and doing some fundraising and things like that. Um, there were some chain of events that occurred then that, that ultimately didn't happen. But I was offered a job as the interim with the notion that I really didn't want to do it yet. As I said, it was earlier than I had anticipated. So you were already at Ursinus at the time? I was already at Ursinus coaching. and You were coaching field hockey? I was coaching field hockey. And I was kind of um, maybe the right-hand listener to the director of athletics. I had been there for some time, and and we were close. And um, there weren't as many full-time kind of coaches or administrators around. And so um, when the athletic director moved into this other position, I was offered the opportunity to be the interim. And I was okay with that, sort of just hold down the fort, you know what I mean? Yeah. And my, this is this was a learning moment for me. My initial thought was like, well, I don't really care who's in charge. I'm just going to do what I do. And my mm-hmm. guess is they'll leave me alone because I don't have issues within my program. But then I really stepped back and thought about it and I was like, you know, maybe it does matter who's in charge, right. <laughs> you know, and I don't know why I was so naive to be like, nah, it doesn't really matter. But I was. And then I was like, yeah, maybe it does matter. And like, geez, what happens if someone comes in and don't like this person or yeah. they don't appreciate women's sports or me or what have you? So then I... um. I decided to apply for the position. They were doing a, a kind of a national search. And at the moment, I, I sort of thought like, okay, well, I might not get it. I don't have the same experience as other people. How old were you at the apply. time? Sorry to... 36. Okay. All right. Um, and so I thought, well, I probably won't get it. But I'll, I'll apply and we'll see what happens. I had also had a working relationship with the president mm-hmm. at the time. It's a small school, you know, so I think that was, that was a good thing. Um, anyway, ultimately, they decided that I should have the opportunity. Um, so I don't know if they actually ended up doing a full, full fledged search at that point, but you know, I accepted the position and so then it came to be, and that was it. So I did coach one more year while I also did the director of athletics and yeah, that was kind of, that was, um, that was crazy. I was getting changed for practice, like under my desk in my office to to run out there. But, um, luckily we were still successful. We, we did go to the final four again, but you won a um, championship too, right? We did win a national championship. That's went wow. to the final four five times. Yeah, yeah, we, you know, that team was pretty special. There was other teams that were probably more talented, but that team was pretty special. Awesome. So, yeah, so it was a good run, and it was a good way to kind of segue out. I think so. Do you? So, I, I guess I want to ask one question: Why were you scared at the point, or maybe scared is the wrong word there? But you said you didn't feel ready for it at the time. Why didn't you feel ready yet? Yeah, I mean, I think when anybody is going to take on like a new challenge, that's a bit different and even though it's something that you think you're shooting for you always have the concern of like what if i don't like it or what if i'm not good at it right so we all go through that in whatever our you know promotions or changes might be and for me it meant leaving a little bit of that lifelong dream of like teaching and coaching 
That and I really love the coaching and I really liked the, the kids and the students. What I really didn't like that much was the recruiting, although I felt like we were pretty good at it, yeah. you know, in terms yeah. of like being efficient. You know, I had three children at home and yeah. Gabe was my husband, was my assistant coach. Was he really? Long, yeah. Oh, and, wow. Whole <laughs> other topic. But, yeah. but you know, to have an IT guy that's an assistant is like awesome because it was all about the stats and the video oh, and the filming yeah. and the organization okay. for the recruiting. Like I just went. He told me where to go. Yeah. Bringing um, Moneyball to field hockey. Yeah. Love it. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So, um, but I, I think that's why you just, you know, it's kind of like, you know, you guys said you don't have kids yet, but like, you're not going to feel ready. You're yeah. just going to figure it out as you go. Yeah. And I think that's what I'm not even happens. ready for a dog yet. So. <laughs> right. Yeah. <laughs> when you're a first time coach or you move from the high school to the college level, I had the same thought, like, geez, what if I don't like it? You yeah. know, turns out the grass was greener on the other side. That's and, awesome. Yeah. So I think for me, my coaches also have this appreciation of, She's been there. She's done it. Now it's yeah. very different than it was 12 years ago or 13 years ago. Coaching is different. So I do recognize that. But I have some of the experience that, that lends itself to them appreciating it. And you said you were going to miss the coaching aspect. But if you list, if people listen to what you said earlier, right, you are coaching your coaches in essence. Right. You know? right. So like you thought you would miss the actual player interaction. But now – your chess pieces are just a notch up, right? It's just you're coaching now the coaches. Yep, that's exactly how we think, think Which of it. Which is interesting. Yeah, and we call ourselves Team Ursinus, and that started early in my athletic director career. I'm not really sure why, but it's like stuck, and I think our staff has embraced that as Team Ursinus. Yeah, yeah. You know, and so I think that's been a really nice thing. That's amazing. That's amazing. So what has shifted for you, I guess, when you weren't ready, what skills did you think you were missing? Or because you, you said you were scared or there was some unknown aspect. How did you overcome that and make sure you were successful in the job when you got in there? So I think if you tie it back to anything you do in your training or your athletics or um, even your jobs now, you know, you focus on the job. And we yeah. used to say to our kids during games like hey you focus on the process the outcome will take care of itself yep. so if you don't get yourself bogged down in like what's the outcome look like you focus on the process and so the process was creating a vision for the group and creating expectations that we could all buy into this whole educator first mentality yeah. is a number one and i think if you can create that a lot of the rest of the process will take care of itself i'm a pretty I'm a pretty pointed person, but I also like to think about being tactful and how would I feel if I have to deliver this message to someone sitting yeah. across from me and I do have to deliver difficult messages. The scary piece I think was when you're working with students, you tell them what to do and they do it, right? They, yeah. Your coach tells you what to swim and you swim it, right? Yeah. But it's different when you're working with adults, in particular coaches who have strong personalities right. and mm. they want to do things their way. Mm. And I want to give them autonomy to do it their way. But there's also the Ursinus way. And yeah. that was my job to create for them the umbrella of the Ursinus way, but then give them autonomy within. You know. That sounds so hard. That yeah. sounds so you hard. You made that sound very easy, but I I, <laughs> I I can't even imagine what that's like. And and something you touched on there that I wanted to to focus on is you said initially when you got into that athletic director position you were kind of worried about people coming to you who don't have a liking to women's sports, I believe is what mm -hmm. you said. And something that I've maybe noticed, and this could be a wrong misconception about athletic directors is I feel like a lot of that 
spaces, males. And in dealing with a lot of alpha personalities such as coaches, how do you how did you navigate that as maybe the minority out there as a woman? Or what were the challenges that you faced? Yeah, it's a really good question. I grew up in the Title IX era and was actually affected in my earlier career with some, you know, kind of subtle Title IX issues, if you will. And the reality is most of the people doing the hiring are the old white men. Yeah. Right. And so it still lives today. And I, again, was fortunate that Ursinus has a really deep history of women's athletics and success for mm. a, a variety of reasons. But um, but they do, which is one of the reasons I went there to coach. And we have always had presidents who have valued athletics in general, but also understood this history of the women's athletics piece. And so they've always been. I want to say more than tolerate, like appreciate, right? Yeah. So it's way different than just tolerate. And so I think that was a good thing. In terms of being the director of athletics, you know, two of my oldest friends, colleagues, confidants are the football coach and the men's basketball coach, which interesting enough, a lot of people think like they're different. Football and basketball is always different. Um, but I just, <laughs> yeah. I just, I try to stay true to myself and like, I get it. I get it. And they may think I don't really know their sports, but I know sports. I have a great appreciation for all sports. I'm a big wrestling fan. I'm a big like UFC MMA Ooh, fan, actually. I yeah. Um, I just right. have an appreciation for all things sports and like e swimming even because they're just so fun. Yeah. I love the swimming atmosphere. Like the team is just so great and I like the coaches. And so, you know, for me, I think our coaches see that I have an appreciation and I will be their biggest advocate. I will help them get what they need for their program um, as long as we're all kind of on the same team or sign us, you know, and, and one program is not better than the other. They're mm -hmm. all different. They have their own unique needs, characteristics, and qualities. And so, like, I am their biggest advocate, but I will also be the first one to try to say to them, like, hey, you got to do this better. Yeah, if you're not yeah. doing something well enough and it needs to be better, I will be the first one to tell them. That's an amazing perspective because in, in theory, you're their boss, right? I, yeah. I'm not crazy to think that you're the coach. You, if you're talking about your, the football team coach, you're their boss in theory, right? Yeah. You, okay. That's I right. just wanted to clarify I am their that. boss. That's what I just wanted to make sure. I, maybe I was missing yeah. something. But the funny thing is you said you're on their team. And as a manager in the workforce, right, you, I hope to God my manager's on my team. But in the same light, I hope he or she holds me accountable to the things I want to accomplish, which yeah. is what you just said. You know, it doesn't change from the act or the, it doesn't change from this athletic department to the corporate environment. It's the same thing. Yeah. Yeah, I agree. And, and something you said there is like the two people you have the longest outstanding relationship are basketball and football. And I'm, I'm assuming they have a lot of trust in you because you've probably gone to bat for them in mm -hmm. the past mm -hmm. if they've been there for long enough in right? a lot of different ways yeah. yeah 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 all of the coaches yeah and so it's funny because i one of them often says like hey boss how you doing and i always like cringe a little bit because i don't want people <laughs> to be like hey boss like you're untouchable or you're away from them 
um, you know, we're sort of part of the same team. Yeah. And I think, you know, this is one of the longtime people. So I think there's just a comfort level there. But I don't believe anybody walks around like, well, that's my boss. Ooh. You know, and this kind of fear factor, you know, it's not really that environment, which is nice. Nor that's do I think good. it should be even incorporate. Like, we that all have be. to, right. You have to appreciate everybody's getting the work done for the, the goals of the organization, mm, whatever they great may be. Point. You know? Yeah. How do you facilitate that? Like a more of a, a flat culture instead of having Great you know, all these power structures. Yeah, you know, I think it's for me, part of it is really allowing the coaches to have that autonomy to kind of choose how they run and organize their team. And as long as they're abiding by the basic principles of, you know, educator first and being appropriate and handling tough conversations with the students appropriately. And I say to them, like, we have to defend your decisions. So if you right. want to say or do things in front of your team, just remember you're not alone. Like we have to defend them mm, because right. when mom or dad get upset or somebody's calling to complain, they're calling me and I need to be able to defend your decisions. If I can't, we have an issue, which right. means you have an issue. Yeah. Right. So <laughs> I think in terms of a flat line, it's just kind of reminding people, what are we doing here? Why are we doing it? And how do we want to go about it? And if they don't agree with the how, then they probably shouldn't be at or sinus. They yeah. should probably find somewhere else. Interesting. Yeah. I don't know if I already asked this question, but with coaches, there's so many alpha personalities. Like, how do you deal with that? Like, how do you, especially in a scenario where things might get heated about differences and with the way they're approaching situations with people who are, are coaches and are not necessarily right. always challenged, I guess you could say. Right. How do you do, how do you approach those and navigate those conversations? You know, I think that um, it's a good question. And I, I'm trying to think about like difficult situations of which I don't know that I've actually had that many because it really is their, their way. As right. long as they abide by the principles, they can do it their way. Now, if their way is not successful, they're going to hear me question why they think their way is the way to go. Um, but I'm not also necessarily going to give them a different way. I mm -hmm. may make suggestions. Ultimately, their livelihood is going to be up to them. Right. They're going to either have to embrace mm -hmm. change or figure it out, maybe go somewhere else. Yeah. But it all starts with the interview process. You know, when we talk about being educators first, when we talk about team or sinus, um, these are all things I think people think it sounds good. Then when they actually take the job, they realize it's all very true. And I think they really enjoy that aspect of it. It's not that way everywhere else. I mean, we have a, a hallway that's coaches row where kind of all the coaches are located, which helps create the atmosphere oh um, along with the different things that we do. But you hear other people that will come and work at our sinus talk about like, oh, well, we were in three different buildings and my office was the basement and my office was away. And so I never really saw people. And, you know, so the tough conversations happen every once in a while. And there's been instances where a coach has gotten a bit off track. They get too focused on the X's and O's the results, and not yeah. the people piece. Mm -hmm. And so they've lost their, it's not their moral compass, but they've lost their philosophy of like, what are we trying to do as a team? And they're not creating harmony, men or women, yeah, yeah, women right. are even trickier, but they're not creating a <laughs> harmony within their team. And so, you know, the kids are barking about, uh, one group, you know, um, I'll just use football as an example, but you know, the, the offensive group got punished differently for something than the defensive group because they're run by two different coaches. And right. then there's the third person, which is the head coach and trying to sort yeah. out all those things instead of saying like, Hey, let's make sure we're talking about culture, culture first. Yeah. Interesting. Yeah. 
It seems like you do a great job setting expectations, though. That's something I've learned is, like, you always come back to this, your sinus first. Like, it's our team. It's this culture. It's yeah. this educator first. It seems like you guys, and I'm sure you played a huge part in establishing that culture. But I think that is an amazing thing to bring people into, right? I think that's a great way as a, a, as a structure for your organization that you're running to have that be that mentality first and foremost, right? It's not something that you happen to mention after you hire the coach on. It's the reason you're hiring these coaches in the first place. And the other thing I was going to say on a lighter side of things, I would have needed you to sell me when I visited your sinus for soccer because some of the things you're saying right now, I don't know where you were when I, <laughs> <laughs> when I was getting rebooted there. But God, I, you could have sold me easily. Yeah. Well, we have a lot more full-time coaches now uh, than we did you know, 12 years ago. So that makes a difference too. Yeah. That's amazing. That's that's awesome. Awesome. And something that you keep touching on is these principles that guide the decisions. Do you are, do you have like a, a a couple different words that Teamer Sinus lives by, or anything along those lines, or is it is it more of just uh, facilitating that culture that we were talking about? Well, I think, I think, of course, the educator first mentality is really a big one. And then right. we go on a bit to define what that means in the broader scope of like a college setting. Um, but then there's also, you know, trust and respect and how you create that amongst each other, part of the staff, but then also within your own team. And so there should be similarities there across the board. And then that translates into how we work with different departments on campus. So they're all smaller pieces of like the bigger picture right. in terms okay. of, a, of a college setting. So those, those are some of the main ones. Um, but trust is huge too for me when I'm hiring people mm. and when I say I have to be able to trust you and hear specifically what that means. I need to know if I'm hiring a 25-year-old head coach, for example, and I'm going to give them their first opportunity to be a head coach, I need to feel comfortable that that person can have the hard conversations with the students um, and handle those conversations appropriately. Mm. And and that can be really hard for a first-time head coach who's 25 or 26, and they're telling a 19-year-old that has been starting half the season that they're not going to start. And, and how do you do that? Uh. And so that, that's one thing. But also if the parents have a concern, like is the coach going to handle it appropriately? Yeah. Um, so, and, and trust goes, you know, a whole lot of different ways. That's just one example, but that's yeah. important too. So for that 25 year old coach, maybe going in that interview with you, what would you suggest to them? Oh, I would suggest that they come prepared. Okay. And so what the number like? of people, She's got notes right here. Uh, I've got go. notes, the number of people who don't come prepared, meaning they bring with, uh, they bring with them for the search committee, um, their resume printed out and that's it. So if you're going to come coach, I want you to have thought about team rules, expectations, guidelines, how you'll Ooh. handle parents, um, how you'll go about breaking down your season, some strength conditioning things that you want to see, um, some fundraising efforts, things that you've done related to that, not just your resume. So the best coaches have been those that come to an interview prepared and they'll have five or six notebooks that they pass around and that they will leave with us to look at after they leave the interview day. Do they, and this is maybe just me thinking about how I would interview for my next job, but maybe I'm going off track here, but do do they ever look at the, the, the way the team is today and say, here are the changes I would make if I were to be the coach? Yes. And so, yes, most definitely. So what we'll find is superficially people will go on to the Ursinus website and they'll speak to a few of the academic programs and this and that and the other. Like anybody can do that. Yeah, and, right. and so, A, that's like baseline, yeah. right? You at minimum, you have to do that. But 
if they've done a little more work, they will go in and look at the roster and look at where we've recruited from, who's currently on the roster. Mm. And if they're really good, they've already gone and watched some film that's what on I the would, team. That's yeah. what I would be right. Doing. And they've talked a little bit about the offensive or defensive sets and, and where they think our weaknesses are and our strengths. And like we will ask those questions. But then we also ask what kind of style are you interested in kind of grooming with your team and, and how will you go about that? Yeah. So like, not just what do you want it to look like at the end of the day, but what is your step-by-step plan, to you know, there. to get there. Right. And so it is interesting to hear some people say, well, I, you know, I want to win a conference championship in four years. Well, that's a little lofty depending on the sport and yeah. where they're currently at. So, Right, it's right. So you can't do that. You can't yeah. laugh at them in the interview. Yeah. But, but you know, you well, do we want to think. Well, we were 12 last year. <laughs> right. but I'm feeling right. good for an NCAA <laughs> Final Four bid next year. Right, yeah. right. So while I appreciate the ambition, I just think we don't want to be too overzealous. And again, the reality is, it's about creating a positive culture and a positive experience. Like, let's start there. Right. Yeah. Why don't we start there and 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 see how goes it? Yeah, I love it. Right. But ultimately, we're also interviewing people with the notion that we want you to get this team to challenge for conference championship meaning that they get into the playoffs let's right. talk about that as yeah. a realistic goal um, and then talk about challenging for the championship yeah you know every school in the conference as you guys know has their different strengths and weaknesses so it's not as easy as like well i want to do that therefore it will happen yeah it's not yeah it's a little bit more complicated it's a too. lot more complicated yeah but what i want to say is isn't it crazy how similar it like it would be if we were interviewing for a job and not saying this isn't a corporate setting at all but it's a diff- yeah. it, it's slightly different right but if i was going into a new sales territory i would do literally exactly what you just said but f- in a sales organization structure i would be saying my team has you know brought in this much money for our company over the last mm-hmm. year i know this is our clientele segment we have a b c and d clients right this is where i think we're weak and this is where our I think we need to work on my goal for this territory or this team. Let's use the same analogy, right? Is to get them here by next year, here by the year after that. Here's how I plan on doing that. I want to focus on my A clients this much. I want to focus on my B clients this much. See, like, right? And it just, it's very similar and analogous. Yeah, yeah. It's not, and I think the important piece here is they're not, it's not only we're focusing on the result, like conference championship or getting there, it's it's the how that's important in that that equation. It's great to say. Yeah. We're going for the NCAA. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Right. Everyone I want to reach a million win, dollars right? in sales. Yeah, yeah exactly. But no, you're right. how are you yeah. going to get there? That's <laughs> yeah. right. the most important piece that I think you're looking for, especially in an interview, to see that that person has thought about that. Right. Like at baseline level. Right. And I think a lot of people may, might go into an interview and just think that's kind of a – they're supposed to stand there and dance around and right. sing, a, sing a beautiful song yeah. and, and – Get yeah, the golden you know, ticket to right. go on American Idol or whatever that might be. But at the end of the day, it's not about proving why you deserve the the job, but it's about how are you going to do that job. Yeah, right? and for me, it's not about like do you deserve the job probably as much as any of the candidates that are applying. I, I want to talk about long-term success mm. in the job. Right. right. It's not about the wedding. It's about the marriage. And so, Ooh. yeah, they all deserve. Uh, yeah. Everybody Great has point. different background and mm. history. So the metrics that you talk about are key. Here's yeah. what I've done. 
And I will, as an AD, okay, not me, but the people who are working with me on the search committee will go in if it's a head coach and they'll look at their previous history. And so they need to be prepared to be picked apart. Like, hey, why, what happened that you mm. were winning for your first two years and then there was a backslide, yeah. um, right? And also let's look at your recruits because you said you brought in X number, but this is how many actually matriculated as seniors. So what happened to you brought 13 in, but you oh. only have four seniors. Like, can you speak more to that? So I think whatever metrics you provide going into a job interview, like you have to be prepared to yep. have some of the harder questions. And oftentimes it's really about how they answer those questions, not necessarily the specifics of what they say. Mm. Like we all know kids drop off. It gets too hard. Yeah. Yeah. They want to focus on other things, but it's about like, were they prepared for that? Could they handle that? Because mm. that translates to having difficult conversations with their students and being ready, like in the moment. Yeah. Can they handle that well? What kind of answer are you looking for from those questions? So most of the time, um, if you're interviewing, what you want is a plausible answer. It doesn't have right. to be, the, there's no right answer or wrong answer, but it has to be plausible. Uh, what I don't want is a lot of excuses. Yeah. So if somebody said, well, I recruited 13 kids that first year, but they weren't the right kids. And then I ask, well, can you talk more about that? But that is a good answer. They weren't the right kids. Why were you winning and then you're not winning? What I don't want to hear is the administration this or this or that or the other. Oftentimes it's that they've increased the level of their schedule. They've tried to take their schedule up a notch and mistakenly they took it up three notches. Yeah. So you don't provide the team the right amount of confidence or mm. preparation. You shoot too high. Like young coaches will do that. Or it's the same thing. Like you go after your A clients instead of enough of the B clients yeah, that yeah. you can actually get a yes to, right? Mm. So it's all this, it's very similar. Would you, and you asked about the question how you'd want her to answer it, and I'm just interested because I think if I ever got asked about a mistake, unless it was very far-fetched, but in my job, if someone was like, what is a mistake you would make? I would never, ever not own that mistake. You know what I'm saying? Like I would always say, hey, my team didn't perform, listen, that was on me. This is what I could have done better. I will. I don't think I would ever answer an interview question like that in a framework of it's an external circumstance. Yeah. Is that what you would be looking for most times? I the would honest hope. answer. But you're also you. You two are also different. Okay. You're, <laughs> what do you mean? You're of the, <laughs> you're of the mature. You're uh, the kind. Of, uh, you're the kind of young people stop. that would land the job and do well. Because if I'm your manager, I know I could as I say, hit you between the eyes. Yeah. I love I love young coaches where I can hit them between the eyes and just say, yo, you didn't you didn't nail this. Yeah. In fact, you were a bit far from nailing and let's talk about why. Yeah. And own it right. as opposed to spin, spin, spin or backpedal about all the reasons why it really wasn't what you did. And we've all felt that way, like defensive at first. Right. You know, and I've had it in my own career where somebody has said something I felt a little bit defensive. Yep. But you know, you can learn something from everyone. So mm -hmm. I appreciate the coaches who, even though they're very experienced, feel like they're constantly learning. Great it's point. Part of being an educator. Great mm -hmm. point. Right? Why are you doing it if you're not going to learn? Like fun, the fun in life is learning and yes. having experiences. Mm. And they're not all good. Yeah, but... that's a great point. Great yeah. point. Yeah. So with the team or sinus, something that I wanted to get into was you have like your coaches – are from a very wide age range. So how do you get so many different people from so many different generations to form this team or assign us? Like how do you facilitate that? Because I, I, and how do you also deal with a head coach who might be 
50 to 60 years old Mm -hmm. dealing with a 20 year old assistant coach and the assistant coach is from our generation and feels like they're not heard or they're being like, I feel like from an older generation, I'm I'm stereotyping (laughs) almost everything right now. So all feelings, no facts, I guess right here. But for those old, that older generation, I feel like for them, it's to come in, do the hard work. Mm -hmm. Don't ask questions, put your head down, do what I say. And for people our age, I feel like it's a little bit more of a, consultative questioning type approach mm-hmm. so how do you how do you help people integrate into that team right so it's um it's not an easy thing sometimes and i've had some older coaches that are near retirement age that are a little bit stuck in their ways they don't mm. want to change but the students on their team want something different yeah. you know they want more modernized approach mm-hmm. um, those conversations can be hard Um, but necessary in terms of like the 50 to 60 year olds that are coaching and we have 25 year old head coaches and you know 24 year old assistants um, I think the benefit is getting everybody in the same room which we often do and talking again about what the principles are but also allowing people to share different things so young coaches I'll give you a couple examples have Really, a lot of my younger coaches are into like journaling for their students. Mm, mm. Um, yeah, because journaling is big now with yeah. the younger generation, and I think the older generation's a little, a little bit like, mm, what is that, you know? And so I often, when I meet with coaches, say, oh, you should talk to coach so and so because they're mm. doing some of this with their team and they've had some success. And like, don't do it exactly the same way, but see if there's something that might work for your team. And so I think it's really just kind of like idea sharing. And this is where athletics is really cool because there is an inherent social aspect. And so when we have meetings, we have like pretzels with mustard, pretzel factory. And so people have a chance to talk a little bit before and a little bit after. Mm. And we're constantly pushing them to work together and talk together and watch this person's team or watch this person's practice and like learn, learn and, and see how you could do some things differently. So it's not easy, but I do think when you coach, everybody wants to have success. Oh, yeah. And so, again, back to like, hey, we have to keep learning. Like, you can learn something from everybody. Mm. And so I don't want to hire people who think otherwise. Mm. And so they're open to talking to my 25-year-old head coach and saying, um, tell me what you're doing there with the journaling. Yeah. Or, right? Tell me about that workshop you went to because you said it was pretty cool. You know? And your team happened to go to the NCAA, right? Like success speaks for itself. If this young coach, regardless of their age, he or she's age, if they were successful, right. why wouldn't that older coach want to listen exactly to, you know? Right. right. Yeah, and I feel like it definitely takes a little bit of a humbling approach or an environment where that's people aren't going to necessarily be judged for, hey, I might be this older coach and I might have had success in the past, but I'm struggling now. This younger mm-hmm. coach is having success with doing these these things that I don't necessarily have – I've never had experience with. Like let me go talk to them without being judged right. necessarily. But aren't we asking that of our students? We're asking our seniors to be open-minded to a first-year mm. or second-year student yeah. who is really good at defensive footwork or yeah. their backstroke or whatever it is. Like why wouldn't you ask them to take a look at yours and see what you're doing and like do they have any feedback for Great you? Point. Right? We're asking them to do that. And the one thing I want to say is I – haven't spoken to a single coach that you help out with or are the boss of, but I can tell by the way you articulate your vision and the culture of this community you've built of coaches and athletes that it's so real. Like the way you like are smiling and the, like the way you articulate it is very amazing. So I can tell how strong that culture is. And that's why I said, I wish you would have been there 
on my <laughs> on my visit because you sold me oh, you great. sold me yeah. in this and i was just it's amazing to hear because like there's such a genuineness to it yeah. oh thanks well yeah. yeah i've i've had my experience playing against uh or sinus teams in Did my they past kick your, and they kick your ass no no we we had the men's swim team on uh on on the, oh, on the yeah. target watch yeah, so yeah, yeah. but the, i mean by the time i was done there the swim coach there had a little bit of more of a, a innovative approach mm-hmm. actually and so you start to see the specifically the women's team started beating Gettysburg, which had never really happened before. The yeah. men's team, I mean, we were caught with our pants down. I remember one time and we had to all of a sudden have a reality check and get back to reality. And I think we ended up winning the meet. But yeah, I mean, you could you could actually see that culture change over yeah. over my experience as That's a, crazy. an athlete. We're a little so. bit, definitely a little more of the have-nots. Like our pool doesn't measure up to Gettysburg in any way, shape, or form. Interesting, I didn't know so that. Got... No, but the home home field advantage is real in yeah. swimming, especially like you're uh, in swimming in such a nice pool all the time. You get so used to it. That when you're out of your comfort zone. What's a nice pool versus an unnice? Trust pool? me, dude. There's a black and white. It's. Mm-hmm. So our pool was like eight lanes, bigger lanes. It had a moving bulkhead. Like it was a very – the pool was like three years old. What's a bulkhead? Bro? So the bulkhead <laughs> is like – if you look at a big, a big massive Olympic pool, yeah. like usually there's a piece in the middle that's actually floating that you can move to change the distance that people are swimming. And you can warm up and cool down at one end while yeah. there's races going oh. on. Yeah. yeah. No, so, we just have like eight lanes that, you know, go straight it's the down same and back. Distance. That's yeah, exactly. So this is, that's something I was deck. super used to. We don't to. have a lot of Yeah, like it wasn't, it, listen, it wasn't bad. It's just like, I was so used, you're so used to swimming in this like very sheltered, perfect uh, environment. Dude. You get thrown uh. into, thrown into a, uh, outside environment and you got home field advantage there so it's it's awesome yeah, for for them to have that is that. true for swimming yeah most definitely yeah so right. yeah we're definitely caught out of the comfort zone there a few times there's some prissy gettysburg people yeah they're nice pool <laughs> <laughs> well i think we hit the career thing is there anything on the career side of things laura that you want to i i think we hit it very well i don't know if there's any other questions i have on that do you kev or do you have anything you want to leave Well, the only thing I would add, I think that um, has been of interest to me is kind of like these generational differences. Mm, And so I think if you have, you know, your audience is really that kind of mid mid to late 20s kind Mm -hmm. of group. I think that there it's a really cool time to be in the workforce Mm -hmm. um, because there are lots of people, the older generation that are the hiring managers. Yeah. Right. Your group is not there yet. At some point, you're going to be the hiring managers. But the changes that have occurred over the last three or four decades has been astronomical in terms of technology, flexibility of schedules, how people want to approach their Mm -hmm. work. And so the great thing about the workforce is the level of experience amongst everybody that's in it now. The downside is the approach to the work is decidedly different in the older generation Mm -hmm. and the younger generation. So those kind of sticking points, if you will, I think are the tricky thing right now. And Mm -hmm. so while it's great in terms of level of experiences, you know, I just think that for your generation that's coming in, there has to be at minimum a recognition that older people who are in charge of you have a different view sometimes and to not be so stuck on, well, it needs to be my way because if they're not comfortable, you are not going to get opportunity. At the same time, you have a tremendous opportunity to have them see the benefits of the newer way of work approach. And so it's just a lot of patience, I think, for your generation, but it's also a give and take. 
you have so much to offer but older people sometimes aren't exactly ready to hear it yet so which yeah. side do you think we're on that the older generation needs to be more open to the way the younger generation does things or do you think the younger generation needs to listen more towards the to the older which way do you think it tilts right now i I don't think it tilts either way. Okay. I think that it's not about um, taking a side. It's about a recognition of what it is. Okay. Right? So in 15 years, it's going to be really different. The older generation, you know, I will be retirement age, hopefully, at that point. <laughs> so, so, you know, I'm not the 65-year-old now. I'm the 50-year-old yeah. now. So there's, there's going to be a 15-year kind of... Uh, span here but i just think that it is what it is and i think both ends of the spectrum need to recognize that's the key recognize and really learn to try to learn to appreciate the other end of the spectrum agreed and everything in the middle yeah you know because it's the way that we want to have flexible schedules and we want to approach our work younger people want to work late and they want to work early and they want to be able to not have to sit at a desk for eight or half or nine hours the old generation views that as well. That's the way it should be. How do I observe that you're doing your work, and how do I know that you're on top of things? You're spot on. Yeah, yeah you so, are spot the hell on. Right. I mean, that's very. Shout out to my manager out there, but that's <laughs> yeah. very, I mean, that's very the way he that's sees it. That's just how things have been for yeah, so yeah. long. It's only recently that we've experienced this kind of explosion and. I guess you could say evolution of what the workforce, yeah. like the workforce and the environment that the workforce works in mm-hmm. looks like. Well, no. te- technology has played a large part mm, yeah. in yeah. that. Yeah. And, and it's, but it goes back to trust. Like if I'm your manager and you want to do your work early and late and like, how do I actually know that you're doing the work yeah. in the way that I want? If you're working from home a couple of days a week and like, we're not having those sidebar conversations that I think are so important and, you know, we're having meetings and the younger generation rolls their eyes and the older generation thinks that's how we do business, Yeah. you know, and like you want to have your computer at the meeting, but you're doing eight different things yeah. during the meeting and I'm expecting you to be eye to eye contact. Yeah. And like, how do we blend those kinds of things so that everybody's getting what they need yeah. and a little bit of what they want sometimes, but not all the time, including the manager. That's the older person, yeah. Yeah. you know? So, you know, it's something kind of like, you know, I've had to learn too, like how younger people are coming in. Is it a conversation, me. Laura? Like, I don't know because you mentioned it a fantastic point, right? Like people of the older generation are typically, they typically had defined hours, right? Where that's where they were in work and you were there and you got your two weeks. Well, you got your three weeks mm-hmm. vacation every year. Now people want more flexibility. They want to work at different times. They want to work in different locations. Like, how do we get people to be on a more similar expect, have a similar expectation level of what the other person is yeah. going to do? You know, I don't know. I think some of that's going to just be time. Yeah. Everyone's not going to have that. And I think in the, let's just say the older days, people had a different type of loyalty to their company. You started at a company at a certain level Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. and there was always opportunity to work your way up to whatever the higher level positions were. If you put in enough time, if you stayed there long enough and there was a loyalty that went both ways until companies like GM and so forth just 
bailed. Yeah. Bankruptcy went out of business. And therefore, all those people who had long-term relationships, all of a sudden it was like, well, wait a minute. So there is a huge mistrust in the younger generation mm. of any company being loyal to them. I think that's a great point. Yeah. And so there's less loyalty the other way. And it's like, hey, if I get what I want out of my job, I'm not going to be here forever. Okay. You know, and I think that the older generation wants to have that loyalty be give and take. Like, yeah. I want to mentor you, but I want to make sure that you're committed to this company yeah. at least as long as you're here. I don't want your commitment to feel dispersed. And I think as younger people who want flexible schedules to the older person, it sometimes feels like that's inherently dispersing your loyalty. Mm. Right? I so feel that. Right. So yeah. I think that can be tricky. So there's got to be a way where you're conveying that. And I've heard you guys talk about people who are mentoring and how do you connect with people and like you ask them for coffee. And yeah. I think that's exactly right. Like yeah. people want to be helpful in the workforce. And for your, for the younger generation, because that's the only people I can speak to, right? I, I'm Yeah, we were talking about kids earlier and I felt like, <laughs> like that shouldn't have been a topic. So we, we this just... is something and I actually just had a conversation with my manager Last week about this, Laura, I'd be interested to hear your perspective. But I, I've mentioned that I wanted to move to Texas, right? And some people in the younger generation could say, you know, I'm making that move regardless of what my company kind of says about it. And since I've ever started bringing up the thought of relocation for me, it's I've always positioned it to my company, my managers, the two people that kind of oversee my job. I said, listen, you know my priority lies first and foremost with you. Like I would never make this move without it being a part of this company because I, I actually feel that loyalty to them. So I think me setting that proper expectation to understand where I am in a thought process of making that move has been very important for my relationship with my managers, but more ultimately at a higher level of the company, right? right. Like I'm very forthcoming with, I guess, how I prioritize that. Right. And I think for the younger generation, why I said it, it's applicable to you is I always talk about transparency with managers and that doesn't just come from the management up. It comes from the bottom level or it doesn't come from the top down. It also comes from that down up. <laughs> yeah, I don't there think you go. Horrible articulation. <laughs> down the ladder, up the but ladder. But you know what I'm saying? You gotta be transparent yeah. both yeah. ways. Yeah. You gotta be transparent both ways because, I mean, there's some reciprocity there. Yeah. Yeah, so I think I, it's a great point. Transparency is huge, especially with those generational differences. I mean, mm -hmm. you might not understand why we have to meet, have a meeting every Monday and Tuesday to discuss X, Y, and Z, but it's because the manager wants that time to facilitate some discussion around maybe a topic and and do things that way instead of I push getting, back on those a little bit. Yeah, I mean it's it. I mean that's a good thing though, right? There's yeah. some transparency and it puts yeah. you in a position where your manager has to explain maybe the why that you don't see. And why they're having these meetings. Right. No, I agree with you. you know yeah, I mean? like what's their intent? Yeah, what's and then, the intent? In addition to that, like if you don't feel like they're, if you knew the intent and you don't feel like they're meeting the intent, make a suggestion. Mm -hmm. Like it's not enough just to complain. Like come in yeah. here with bullet, bullet points and then make a suggestion. You're right. And like, You're right. you know, because I do think if they're, no manager wants to miss the mark either. Yeah. They want to have Monday, Tuesday meetings and not have their intent be met. But like who's going to tell them it's not being met? So, Nobody wants to tell the boss. You're right. Yeah. Right. Oh, Nobody I wants. Take that so I have right. a couple people that work for me, and their job is to tell me mm. if I miss the mark. Like yeah. explicitly, that yeah. is their job. And mm. if it's uncomfortable for them, I don't care. Yeah. But I, if I miss the mark, we all miss the mark. Yeah. <laughs> so. Great. That's a great point. God. I... And I love the. Don't come to me with complaints. Come with solutions. Yeah. 
Come with a problem and a yeah. solution. Don't Love just that. come with the problem and expect me to solve it for you. Love it. Can I ask yeah. you one thing? We talked about this at the gym the other day. We talked about salary raises. Do you remember this? Mm-hmm. Vaguely. Do you, do you, so you were mentioning – what did you mean? What was the story? One team was asking for like an athletic trainer maybe or like some sort of supervision. Oh, right, right. And we talked about salary increases in an analogous perspective where it's like, oh, Johnny's making more than me. Well, yes. do you, do, I mean, Johnny's making more than you for X, Y, and Z reasons. Do you really need that salary raise? Like, why are you asking for it is essentially right. the question we came to. I don't know how you want to transition or open up this dialogue, but it was very interesting from because we talk about salary raises all the time and I think – I mean, at least my perspective mm-hmm. is now is focused on skills and as long as you can pay your heating, water, and whatever, salary will come, man, as long as you're building the skill sets to ultimately get you where you want to go. Like, that's my perspective on it. But you had a very interesting Yeah. One. I had um, – I, I, we were talking about a coach who – we only have a limited amount of athletic trainers and they try to be at their practices. But one athletic trainer could have essentially responsibility for five teams. So right. this particular team didn't have their particular athletic trainer at their practice, and their athletic trainer was either bouncing or was at the other team's practice. And the coach came to me and said, well, so-and-so is not at our practice. And I just looked at the coach and said, what is it that you need you're not getting? Yeah. Um, and so I think with that question, the coach had trouble articulating and basically it turned into well i want what they have and so Mm. that turned into our conversation about salaries and people thinking like well i just want what that person has whether it's team budget or salaries or anything and you know i think my response to it was okay no that's not how we're going to do it and you need to ask for what you want not yes. what someone else has yep. it's it should never be about you asking for what someone else has right if you need it then you need to advocate for why you need it um, whether that is salary or team needs or i agree with office you. needs or yeah. you know technology needs like talk about why you need it and advocate for that not just because what, what someone else has is not really an it's answer it's not a strong sticking point. yeah and the problem no. with saying that you need these things that you don't necessarily need is when you actually really need something you're that coach might go to you and you're gonna be like you already asked for these 15 things mm-hmm. like what you now you need this thing like what what else do you need yes so i think it comes down to yeah think about what you really need yeah like i, I can think about it like a perfect example of like I asked my coach once, I was like, why don't we have an athletic trainer at our practice? And he was like, do you see anyone getting ankles taped up around here before going and jumping in the pool? I was like, oh, yeah, they're great. You make a good point, yeah, coach. Right, that's why right. you That's why you're the coach. <laughs> no, right. but I think but it yeah. does apply to salary, though, because – Oh, yeah. Yeah. Because I guess it's easier for me to talk about just my industry and my job, but it's like – do you really need the salary increase or do you want a job promotion where you have more responsibility or like do you need additional learning support, right? Do you want to go get your MBA? Like is it really salary increase? Like is that really what you ultimately need? Like I feel like salary is just such low-hanging fruit, I guess I would say. You know, it's an easy metric for That's people what I'm to saying. do. Yeah. And, the, and the marketplace is – the marketplace is, is fickle. So salaries mm-hmm. in my world, salaries can be all over the place yeah. and very school dependent. As you know, you know, if your swimming program is a premier program, you're going to pay more for your swim coach yeah. than somebody whose yeah. swim team is like, yeah, or isn't great or doesn't have notoriety or yeah. history within the college, you know, you're not going to pay the same. And so, you know, that's, what's hard. I find that as a manager, 
I advocate for people who have earned, but you also have to keep in mind what the base level is and where they're going to tap out because you don't want to give somebody a salary that puts them at the very top of the range. Um, if in fact there isn't an additional promotion available beyond that, or their skill set's not going to meet that promotion. And that's where if you in sales, for example, yeah, talk to me about right? That. So let's say you're going to, they call it like redlining actually. Really? <laughs> if your salary is at the very top of what they can pay a sales consultant, yeah, yeah. right? You can't go above that mm -hmm. within the company because it creates inequities everywhere else. And okay. So what will happen is they want to make sure that you have the opportunity within your general number of years, you'd be a sales consultant yeah. before you'd be a sales manager, Got for it. example. Right. So they want to make sure like your increment level of increasing salary gives you some growing room yep. so that when you're ready we can now promote you to Great. the next level and that's when we saying. do promote you to the next level we're not going to promote you to a salary range that's in the middle of that level you're going to start at the bottom yep. so again you have room to grow you and move. Like it's a little it. bit trickier with coaches because a coaching salary is kind of like a coaching salary for a sport and it doesn't matter if you're coming in as a 40 year old or you're coming mm. in as a 29 year old and that can be hard do yeah. This is interesting. We're talking about salaries, but now it just popped into my head. So I'm going to talk about. It. So, do with if they win like a championship or they have like an undefeated season, does that do they get compensated for that? Not usually at the Division Three level. Okay. And so my argument, if I ever had a coach, which I have not come in and tell me that, is to say like, okay, so then if you're not successful next year, will we bump your salary down? Okay. Yeah. That's it. And you're putting your livelihood in the 18 to 20, the, you know, the lives of 18 to 22 yeah. year olds. Need I remind you, Negative. you're going to get, you're going to get what you get. Yeah, that's a, that's a <laughs> no. The house that's always no. wins. Right. They the don't want to the go. There. Right. Yeah. If I have a year where yeah. I'm not successful, can I lose my salary? Yeah. Well, if you're asking me yeah. if you get more, if you win, then, you know, hey, that's at our level, we, it's not bonuses built in. Yeah. At this yeah. Level, you know, yeah. the other thing I think about with salaries is like, I don't know. It's it's interesting. I don't even want to get into it anymore. That was You want to feel I think you want to feel like you're getting paid what you deserve. Right. And if you need to be told why you're not quite there yet, you have to be okay with that. Mm. But the problem is when you're told you're not there yet and here's why, you immediately go to like, "Hey, okay, well if I hit those boxes, I can assume that there's a raise, which is why when you're the manager, you need to be really careful about those conversations. Because yep. sometimes organizations in particular right now, nobody has extra money to be, nah. to be yeah, going yeah. around. Yeah, you got to set the right expectation at the end of the day because right. if you set the wrong one, right. you, you lose that trust right. that you spent long enough to It's way easier to, to give up. a title and more responsibility. Yeah. But then you're going to take that and go somewhere else now, aren't you? Yeah. Perhaps. Yeah, Maybe. Perhaps. Perhaps. Maybe. The... Uh, the one thing I do want to touch on is with salaries specifically, I mean, there are people in situations where, hey, like I need to make more money somehow, like because yeah. I got these commitments, these financial that, commitments, yeah. et cetera, et cetera. So I think if you, like something we've touched on before is if you have the ability to focus and have the time to maybe take that lower salary and use those skills you're building as the monetary benefit and yeah. rationalize it that way. That's awesome, but that's not everyone's situation. No. So I think something we keep coming back to is transparency here and having those conversations with your managers all the time about that kind of situation. Yeah. It's like, Hey, I got X, Y, and Z financial commitments. Frankly, if I can't increase my salary within the next six months, then I'm going to have to start looking for another yes. job. And I think that's, it's a tough position to put, 
your manager in, but at the end of the day, I think transparency is valued more than just sitting there and them not and knowing your situation. About it. Yeah, and and then talking behind, you know, yeah, behind their backs or I gossiping think, or so whatever. So I think that might that's be. really true and an excellent point about the transparency piece. I also think that when you put your manager in that position. Um, what's hard about that is as a manager, you know, you want to support your people, yeah. but I, I'm honestly, as a manager, I'm not the one with the problem. What do you mean? What do you mean? Well, if you're not making enough money to take care of all your bills and your responsibilities, that isn't really my problem. Right. Like, it could be if I'm on the fringe of already advocating for you, mm-hmm. but I Great have point. to focus on the company mm. and, and the value you're bringing to mm. the company. Yeah. I just can't necessarily help you solve your financial troubles. But if the two should sync up nicely, then yeah, it's a win-win for both of us. But my focus has to be on here. The greater organization. Yeah. The organization, right? And and yes, I want to help you if you're a great employee and you're a good person. Like, I don't want to lose you, but I don't know that I can go advocate to my higher up about giving more money to you mm. because you've got student loans and a car payment yeah. maybe on the way. That's a great point. Like, so sometimes, you know, you have to be careful if you're going into your manager with this what could be perceived as an ultimatum yeah. as opposed to just the conversation about your struggles. Yeah. When you take your struggles and you say, if I don't get a salary increase, oh, I have to look I for yeah. So it's a fine line How between the transparency. I think if I was, what I would appreciate yes, as a manager is someone coming in and talking about where they're having their struggles right. and not making it be my problem, but articulating their own problem and why they've been toiling with the issue yeah. at hand. And like, you know, I don't want to leave or sinus for That's example. I, and yeah. I love it here, mm-hmm. but I'm, I may have to go look and I say, well, you know, I'm sorry that you feel that way. I totally understand your situation. Look, I don't know if there's anything I can do or not, but you've been a great employee, blah, 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 blah. But again, making the problem be where it lies, which is, your problem mm-hmm. that you're now trying to make my problem yeah, so okay. I can solve it for and you. Yeah, that's a, that's a great point and something I totally didn't think about that being a possible. You missed the mark. Bro. I missed the mark. <laughs> and that that's why we have her here right but now. We're so all, but we've all it. been there. Yeah. And we all, and that's why I go back to like advocating for what you need, but why not take what is your situation and tie it back to how you've brought value to the company and talk about like, is there any possible increase for salary? That's what yeah, I was, and I was just gonna say the one piece I left out is, I have these problems. If you know, I I have these issues at hand. Like I need, I, I kind of am in a situation where I need to have be making more money. What do I need to do? Yes. Within the next, there you go. You know, a couple months, right. six months to get there for have a you. Chance at increasing. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. Is there anything more I can do to bring value? Right. And like, you know, I like it here. I want to stay here. You know, I'm having some trouble here. Yeah. Um, and like sometimes it, it just doesn't work out. Yeah. You know, and like I know at our sinus, we don't pay what some some of the other people can pay. Yeah. In particular sports. So, you know, I don't want anybody to leave, but like I get it. And I had a very similar conversation with one of my colleagues, candidly, a couple of weeks, a couple of months ago about this exact conversation. And I was like we kind of talked about how we would position it, but the reality came to me and him having the conversation and saying, I would always go to bat with the transparency aspect, which I agree is a fine line, but I think worst case scenario, you told your manager and you leave on good terms rather than you saying 
to you telling giving your two weeks and saying, Hey man, I'm out. I didn't even, you know, the reason I'm leaving is because I didn't make enough money. Well, maybe I still have to keep as a manager, the organization's larger vision in mind, but as someone who's helped you for the last two years, as someone that's helped you for the last three years, I would have at least liked to know. Yeah, you know? me too. Me too. I'd rather know. Mm. I'd rather know. That's what I'm saying. Yeah. So at the very least, maybe the positioning, we can tweak yeah, the Yeah, we can tweak the positioning. Slightly. But, but we want to have that conversation. That's yeah. what I'm saying. Yeah. That's I agree. what I'm saying. Yeah. I agree. And I've had people come to me who have contemplated taking other positions and the other place has better facilities, more money, uh, full-time assistance, you yeah. know, this, that, and the other. And I'm like, mm, yeah, that sounds great. You know, I'm like, so, so <laughs> Crap. Let, let, let me just talk yeah. out both sides here. One side is as your manager and your boss, yeah. here's why I don't want you to leave. As a mentor and a friend and a colleague, may I suggest you think about these things. Yeah. And like, ultimately, the choice has to be yours. Yeah. Do not stay because you think you're loyal to me although i would appreciate that yeah. <laughs> but I, I don't want you to be resentful at the end like right. ultimately you have to do what's best for you and like i think a lot of times younger people want to come in and they want me to like make the decision for them either be kind of pissed off that they're thinking about leaving so that they can be like oh well then i can't leave Right, like almost have me make that decision no. or be like, wow, that other situation sounds great. I would take that if I was you. Right. Yeah. So I kind of think sometimes they want that. And I'm really? like, look, you have to decide. Yeah. You have and they know that at the end of the day. But I I think it's better to stay neutral. Yeah. It's not my oh decision. My yeah. It's not my decision, but I don't want you to be bitter or resentful. And I also don't want you to jump ship too soon either. So I will tell them all the things they should ask about. Because sometimes the too good to be true is sometimes too good to be true. Yeah, very Maybe true. You had that, dude. Grass is always greener on the other side sometimes. Mm-hmm. And I always come back to this. You who have been in the, so what, 30 years now? In the, no? Mm, not quite. Not Almost. quite. 25? Yeah. 25? Yeah. So as a coach that's 26 and just 27, 28, just had a winning yeah. record, right? They're looking at other job opportunities. The reality is as great as they are what they do. You have more experience, you yeah. know, like why not leverage someone who has continuously showed, hopefully as your manager, that they have your best interest in mind. Why not hear their perspective? That's you know, right. that's yeah. what I, and it's the same thing with the sales industry. Yeah. It's like right. this person has been in sales for 25 years, longer than you've been alive. Sure. You've had success for the two years you're in that position, but the reality is they have some experience that could help you. Right. So has anybody ever tried to like take you guys away? Like anybody offer you, have you been wooed at all yet? Not, not really. I guess you could say like, I've been asked like once, like maybe once or twice. I don't really like you get the casual, like LinkedIn inbox messages and okay. I don't really yeah, entertain I've got stuff direct, like along those lines. Direct texts. Yeah. But for me, there's just a level of growth and a level of knowledge right now in my company that it doesn't even make sense for me to shift anything I have going on from a career yeah. education standpoint. Right. right. You're where you need to be right I'm now. I'm where I need to be. I'm moving at a rate that is very, very sufficient. And I feel like I'm just constantly getting better in my job. And 10 grand to me 20 grand to me like it's like uh, right you guys will be wooed at some point you should be prepared because being wooed is um a really good feeling somebody wants you and they're offering you things because everybody wants to feel wanted yeah yeah so you know my advice for people who will be wooed the good people is that they think about the entire situation before being sucked into the simply being wooed part 
you know, because the grass is, sometimes it's greener, sometimes it's not. And it's really hard when somebody's wanting you to come work for them because they think you're awesome and you're terrific and they're making you promises. Um, But the reality you have to ask yourself is like, are they actually going to be in charge? Are they going to be my person? And do they have the decision-making power to back up these promises? So you're saying their initial, I just want to make sure I'm understanding this. You're saying their initial, the woo factor might not be the reality once you're there for six months or yep. once you're there for a year. Yeah. Right. Woo woo. Woo woo. woo, woo. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. No. yeah. I think that's a great, and it's very dangerous in the sense that, especially if you're being wooed by one, wooed by one person, then you're not necessarily evaluating a group of options that you have laid out in front of you. It's kind of like black and white. Do I right. want to leave or do I want to stay? So you don't necessarily have, okay, well, this person wants me for this and maybe I should evaluate this and this mm-hmm. as an alternative options. Yeah. So you're kind of limited in that right. scope. So yeah, I think it's good. good to, I think it's good to, in, in your careers, as you are looking to grow and develop and, and, you know, proceed up the ladder that you have a list of things that are important to you mm-hmm. that you keep. And that anytime job opportunity comes around, you refer to that list, which will change over time, but whether it's flexible hours or a salary base or opportunity to grow, how many people you oversee or what does the team look like? Is it team environment important Mm. or the culture or the company's mission? And like, if you have a list of those things, it makes it really easy when you start looking for different jobs or you get wooed to go back to that list and see if company X checks all those boxes. Yeah. Great point. Great point. No, I agree. Just having a vision for what you want your career to look like, I think is very important mm-hmm. because in those micro moments of when you might be stressed for me, right? Cause I do at a 90% of the time love my job, but there are moments where I'm like, damn, this stinks. But then I come back to all the boxes being checked. Right. Mm-hmm. And I'm like, all right, you know, it's not as bad as I thought. And you yeah. tell yourself every job is going to have that. Yeah. That's what I'm saying. I yeah. hear you. We all get tired. Yeah. yeah. It's easy these Friday days at to four? feel tired. <laughs> Friday at four. I'm like, that's, Jesus. That's Wednesday's at every... 6 p.m. Yeah, yeah right? Wednesday's at 6 know? for you in right. the COVID yeah. era. Yeah. So. <laughs> so what, your Schwab nostrils or they do it yourself, you said, right? They right? do it themselves. Oh, we oversee, yeah. Yeah, man. Well, all right. That was amazing, Laura. Is there anything, Kev, any questions, anything? Yeah, I was I was gonna say, do we want to get into your fitness journey, or do we not have? We a, might we have, have to do a second round here. That was round. so oh, yeah. good. Yeah. That was so good. We might need you on for a second round. We'll do. Okay. Absolutely. All right. Well, we appreciate the time, Laura. Sincerely, I can't believe you were one of the first people that reached out to me. I appreciate it so. <laughs> love much. it. I love the podcast. Thank yeah. you so much. Thanks. All Thanks, right. guys.